I'm very fond of Peter in the in the gospel narratives, just the way that the Lord dealt with him, the way that he had strengths and he had flaws and the Bible highlighted both of those. But even more, the Bible highlighted God's grace working in his life to sustain him and keep him. In the first century, there was a um, there was a Roman emperor named Nero. And Nero was a crazy madman for a leader, a terrible leader, as, as Rome saw many terrible emperors who did wicked, evil things. And he was just one of many. It was said that Nero had Rome burnt to the ground. And while Rome was burnt, he was fiddling, wasn't doing much about the burning of a city that he's in charge of and supposed to be caring for and, and taking protecting he tried to put the blame on Christians for the burning of Rome. So there was this bitterness, this building of bitterness and animosity towards godly loving Christians who were peaceful and kind and gracious in the first century because Nero was saying it's their fault that Rome was burnt. And, and Nero had some Christians wrapped in wax and put on big sticks to be human candles in his garden. This is the kind of emperor leader we're talking about. Very wicked, ungodly. And the apostle Peter is writing to Christians in the first century, around 64, 65 AD, we don't know exactly uh, the, the exact date, but somewhere around there, he's writing to Christians who have experienced profound suffering and persecution, fiery trials, literally fiery trials. They were being tried and tested and life was challenging and difficult for them. And the apostle Peter wrote them to encourage them to strengthen them, to do what Jesus told Peter to do, feed my sheep, he said. Do you love me, Peter? Feed my sheep. To strengthen the brethren. And today, over 2,000 years, or about 2,000 years later, today we are going to be strengthened by the words of the Apostle Peter, recorded and written down, inspired by the Holy Spirit for us today. To experience God's grace, the truth of the gospel, and be built up and strengthened in our faith. Amen? And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 1 Peter 1. I have it up on the screen if you don't have your scripture with you. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you greatly rejoice. 
Though for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than the, than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that you have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things in which angels long to look. And all God's people said, Amen. So here's where we're going this morning. God deserves the praise for giving Christians such a great salvation through the gospel of Jesus Christ. What they now possess and look forward to in eternity fuels their joy, hope, and love, even in the face of fiery trials. Amen? Amen. So God deserves the praise for what he has done through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's go back here to the the very beginning here. This is the Apostle Peter, one who was called and commissioned by the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle, uh, the word Apostle means sent one. Peter was called even in his flaws and brokenness and all his rough edges, uneducated, untrained fishermen. Jesus calls him according to his mercy and grace. He calls him to be with him and he calls him to preach and he calls him to go make disciples, to teach what Jesus taught him, to do what Jesus did. And he carried the authority of an apostle sent by Jesus Christ. His name was Simon and Jesus says, you're going to be called Peter. Okay, Jesus changed his name and he changed his life. And he's writing to Christians who are called elect exiles of dispersion. They had been spread out. Okay, this was often referred to the Jews, the dispersion of the Jews. James uh, speaks of this. They were spread out in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Asia, Bithynia. This is uh, modern day Turkey. So that they had they had been scattered. They in, they had been spread out. Now we know in the book of Acts, one of the reasons that causes, caused the spreading of Christians from Jerusalem was, uh, persecution hit. And then they were gathered in Jerusalem and persecution came and they were, they spread out. God used the persecution to cause the gospel to go forth to the ends of the earth. This, this is a loaded greeting. I, I question whether I should just do a sermon on this because there's a lot within here. He uses some big words like the foreknowledge of God, according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father. Okay? This is the idea that God not only foreknew something, but foreknew someone before they even were, were born into existence. This is a profound thought 
that I love and deeply cherish because it speaks of the sovereignty and the grace and the mercy of God who inhabits eternity who, who's, who's not confined by time. He can call the shots from the end at the beginning because he inhabits eternity. And he says, according to the foreknowledge of God. And it wasn't that God foreknew merely that, that th- these Christians were going to choose and believe in him one day. God knew them and would save them. And he knew that they would be his for all eternity. Notice the Trinitarian greeting here. You've got the Father... You got the Son, Jesus Christ, and you got the Holy Spirit who all have their work and part and role in our salvation. The Father foreknew us, He chose us. The Son shed His blood for us, was crucified for us, was sacrificed for our sins, and the Spirit sanctifies us and is sanctifying us and he draws us and he woos us and he applies the truth of the gospel to our lives. So he mentions the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for the obedience to Jesus Christ. God has saved you and called you with purpose. Namely that you obey Jesus. Bringing glory to God. Sprinkle for the sprinkling with his blood, which in the Old Testament, Moses uh, spoke about sprinkling with the sacrifices, the animal sacrifices, the sprinkling of blood for various at very at a couple different occasions. There were there were animal sacrifices, blood sacrifices on behalf of the sins that were committed of the people and Jesus's blood, the, the blood of the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And that has been applied to our lives. Jesus is that Passover lamb. The lamb, uh, the blood of the lamb was put on the doorpost at the Passover when, when God's people were going to exit Egypt and, and be brought in, uh, through the Red Sea, delivered from slavery in Egypt. And it was through the blood that they were spared death. And you and I have the blood of Jesus that has cleansed us and delivered us from death. Amen. And then he says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. God's blessing and God's peace, may it increase in your life. Okay, this is a common blessing that that Paul often spoke, grace and peace to you, right? The Old Testament, the the priest of the Old Testament would say, uh, number six, the Lord bless you, the Lord keep you, the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you and lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Peter just sums it up and says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Like lots of it to you guys, because you really need it right now. You really need his grace. You really need his peace. Because you're going through some fiery trials, some difficult times that have grieved you. So I have four points here this morning. I just wanted to go through that so I don't skip that introduction. But I'm going to focus on verses 3 through 9. And the first thing that I want to point out concerning our great salvation is that Christians have a new identity through the gospel. You have a new identity through the gospel of Jesus Christ. First of all, notice the, the, uh, Peter calls them elect. Now this was, this term was used concerning Israel in the Old Testament. They were chosen by God. Okay. 
uh, and other, other places in the scripture, uh, this word is also connected with the foreknowledge of God. God chose us before the foundation of the world, Ephesians chapter 1, which is a profound thought. So God's chosen us. He selected us out. Okay, he's telling these Christians that, that you guys are chosen by God. You're chosen by God and you're exiles, chosen exiles, elect exiles, which uh, the, the word, the Greek word means one residing in a country, not one's own, a sojourner, a stranger, an alien. This is not your home. This is not your home. You have an, a heavenly home. So don't get too cozy and too comfortable here as if this is your home. You see, Peter calls his, his the, the believers in, in his epistle to have this mindset that they're passing through, that they've been chosen by God from eternity past and foreknown by God, and they are passing through this life, and this life is not their home. So don't live in the lust of the flesh like the rest of the heathen do, who act as if this is their home, and this is it, this is all they get. This isn't all we get for the Christian. We, first of all, we get a new identity. God has made us a new person, new people. And we're sojourners. We're chosen by God. We're, we're exiles in a foreign land. Okay. So be kind to the aliens, right? Because you're one, you're one. Christians have a new identity through the gospel. Notice verse three. He says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. We sing about that living hope here this morning. God has made you through his mercy. According to his mercy, he's made you a child of God, saints. If you're a Christian here today, you're a Christian because of the mercy and the grace of God, not because of your doing. You see, the mercy of God and the grace of God is in contrast to human works, to what we do. Titus 3, 5 speaks about this, not according to works of righteousness that we've done, but according to his mercy, he has saved us. You see, there's something in human nature that just wants to get credit for our salvation, for the the good things that happen in our life. We just want to boast about it like, yeah, I just, I finally got my act together. I finally became a good person and started serving God. There's something in us that just thinks that we can do it. We can save ourselves if we just discipline ourselves enough or make the right choices or, or, or hang out with the right people or, or learn the right things. But it's, it's not merely information that we need. It's not a change of circumstances and, and, and external uh, atmosphere that we need. We need salvation from Jesus Christ who offers it according to his mercy and his grace, not according to your works or my works. It is the work of God. Notice that Peter says, God has caused us to be born again. Just think about that. Think when Jesus first introduced this new idea in John chapter 3 to what seemed like a pretty good guy, Nicodemus, pretty humble, godly guy, Pharisee. Who came to Jesus and he says, Nicodemus, you got to be born again. 
to enter the kingdom of God. You got to be born again to see the kingdom of God. You got to be born again to enter the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus is like, how do I do that? Do I got to enter into the, like, I'm not even going there. Like, how do I do that? Doesn't make sense because the implication in, in, in saying you got to be born again and that God has caused us to be born again. The implication is you can't make that happen. I mean, which one of you decided as a as a cell, as a uh, sperm cell to say, hey, I want to go into the world. Sorry, guys. Was it you who you were just the best among many thousands of others and you just made it to the egg and you're sorry, we got some young ones here. No, it was God's work, God's will, God's plan. You're not an accident. You may not have been planned by your parents, but you were planned by God from eternity past and you are not an accident. So don't ever believe that lie. That you're an accident. And if you're a child of God, a Christian, you are born again because of God's mercy, God's grace, God's work, God's doing. And God decided before you were even born that this is going to happen for you. Does that just humble your pride and make you just grateful to God for choosing you? Because you didn't do anything. You weren't super awesome to merit God's choosing. God chose you in spite of you and anything you've done, whether good or whether bad. And you couldn't do anything about it. So what makes you think you could make him stop loving you and sending grace upon grace into your life for all eternity? Nothing can separate us from the love of God. It's in Christ Jesus. First Peter says, you've been born again. First Peter one you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed through the living and abiding word of God. It's through namely the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. You've heard it. You believed it. You responded to it. God decided you were going to hear it. God decided he would have you in his family for all eternity. And something supernatural happened with inside of you. You came alive. You were once dead. And you came alive through the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. And you've been changed. You've been given a new heart and a new trajectory in life. A new identity. A new hope. you got purpose now, saints. What great salvation we have in Jesus. Amen? We also have, Christians have a great inheritance. We've been given a, a great, a new identity, but we've, we've also been given a great inheritance through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 3 and 4, the end of 3 and 4. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be, to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, through the gospel, okay? The resurrection of Jesus Christ, the mercy of God, the gospel Caused you to be born again. You heard it. You received it. You became new. God did his work in your life. And now you not only have a new identity, but because you are in the family as a child of God, you have this amazing inheritance. Because your daddy owns everything. Everything. He owns it all. And you've been brought into the wealthiest family in the world. And we're not talking about material blessings here. Because Peter puts our focus on something far more greater than material things. 
in this life. We're talking about heavenly blessings that are eternal, that don't fade away, that are imperishable, that are kept in heaven for you. An inheritance. That inheritance is kept in heaven for you. It's secure. No one's going to steal it from you. I was, I played this song. I started just belting it out in the shower this morning as I was thinking about this. The enemy can take what I have, change who I am. I belong to you. That's, I missed the melody. But this, the song is belong to you and the, the lyrics are the enemy can't take what I have, change who I am. I belong to you. We belong to God now. And we are kept, our, our inheritance is kept, we are kept, we have this inheritance that is in, imperishable, unfading, undefiled, kept in heaven for you. Now, in the Old Testament, God spoke to the Israelites about an inheritance that they had. You know what that was? One of the things that they had as an inheritance was the promised land, right? God says, you got this land that you're going to inherit. Now, go in and get it, right? Okay? For the Christians, we have new creation to look forward to. New creation where there's no disease, there's no decay, there's no dandruff, there's no sickness, there's no pain or sorrow, there's no cancer, there's no war, there's no injustice. We have this inheritance. We get to inherit all things. All things belong to Christ and he gives us freely all things. And, and, and the, the greatest part of that inheritance, saints, I believe, is that we get God himself, a relationship with God himself. He says, I will be their God and they shall be my people. And let me just say this. The born again heart cares more about that than anything else. The born-again heart cares more about getting God than all the stuff that this world has to offer or even all the blessings of heaven. I mean, we should care about the blessings of heaven, but you know what's even better than the blessings? All the good benefits that come along with heaven is we get God himself. What a wife, newlywed wife or husband would be thrilled about going on the, the trip of a life, the honeymoon of a lifetime Fully paid for, free, extravagant, honeymoon, trip of a lifetime, but you have to go by yourself. Wouldn't be very exciting if it was just you without that one, the one you loved, right? And what makes heaven so amazing is not just that we get streets of gold and not just there's no more sickness or sorrow. Those things are amazing, but what's, what's most amazing about it is that we get God. And that relationship with him won't be taken from us. And our, our identity in him and our inheritance we have in him will not be taken from us for all eternity. Can you see how as Peter's recipients, the Christians who were experiencing suffering, being ostracized, persecuted, blamed for the bad things that were happening in the Roman Empire. Can you see how these words must have been so comforting to their hearts as they heard about the great salvation that they have in Jesus because they were going through intense suffering. But, but Peter reminds them that there is great salvation that you have and you will have. Amen? 
And so Christians have a great inheritance. And this idea of a living hope correlates with that great inheritance that we have. The hope that we have. We as Christians should be the most optimistic people on the face of the planet. Not because we deny the reality of the brokenness of this life. We should be great realists as well. But we should also be great optimists. Knowing that this is not it for us. Our best life is yet to come. Right? We're looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth. We've gotten a taste of it. The kingdom has come. Salvation has come. But there is more. There's this already not yet that we are living in. We've experienced salvation. We've experienced the kingdom. We're in the family of God. But there is glory coming for us. Glorification. Resurrected bodies. There is so much more. The end, the salvation of our souls, Peter speaks about at the end of this little section here. So we have this living hope. Wayne Grudem, who has a wonderful commentary on First Peter, and I'm so glad that I get to use this commentary during this series because I love Grudem's stuff. Uh, he says this about this living hope. He says, it is living. By so describing it, Peter indicates that that it grows and increases in strength year by year. If such a growing hope is that the expected result of being born again, then perhaps the degree to which believers have an intense, confident expectation of the life to come is one useful measure of progress towards spiritual maturity. It is not surprising that such hope is particularly evident and many older Christians as they approach death. So we have this living hope. And, and Grudem says the implication here is that it's it's growing. It's increasing. It's alive. It just keeps getting bigger and greater. It's this living hope. Do you have a living hope inside of you? Do you have a hope that's alive inside of you that it just ever increases and it expands and it's, it's getting greater and greater as you see the day approaching, the day when you'll see Jesus face to face? Is your hope growing or is it dwindling? One of the reasons why Peter's writing this is so that your hope and faith in God would be strengthened, that it would grow. And that you would live in the joy of the Lord. That you would be faithful to the Lord by His grace. Another thing that Christians have is they have great security through the gospel. They have great security through the gospel. Verse 5, he says, Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation to be revealed in the last time. Great security through the gospel. Okay? Now, Why do we have great security through the gospel? Peter tells us because God's power is guarding us. Now in the scripture, we are told in other places that we are to hold fast to our hope, endure, remain, persevere. We're told to hold on to Jesus and we do. But you know what? Our grip is not as strong as his grip. His grip is greater. His grip of grace is greater and he will not let us go. No one can snatch us from his hand. He's holding on to us. There's a song called Anchor. 
think Christy Knuckles sing it, sings it. She says, I hold on to you. Gosh, I'm missing the melody on these songs here. You hold on to me. I hold on to you. And I love that. And I, the first time I heard that, I was just kind of like, okay. Yeah, I hold on to you. It sounds like Arminian. You hold on to me. sounds like Calvinist. Okay, both. Oh, I like that. I like that. That's true. Yes, we're holding on to Jesus. Yes, it's through our faith. We, we're holding on with everything we can within us. Lord, where else can we go? Who else has the words of eternal life? But ultimately, it's not our holding on that keeps us saved and keeps us in the family of God. It's God's power and God's grace and His mercy. The Greek word for guarded means to keep watch guard with the military guard, to keep in condition of restraint, to keep in a state of settlement or security. And this can be used in two different ways, at least two different ways. One way is to guard against from, guard against from escaping or to protect, to guard against attack. And both are true for us. God guards us. He protects us. He keeps us by his grace and his mercy, by his power. He guards us. Amen. Remember in the gospels when Peter says, Lord, I'll die for you. I'm, I'm holding on to you, in essence. I won't deny you, Lord. I won't deny you. Peter, Jesus says to Peter, Simon, Simon. He doesn't call him Peter. He calls him Simon. Simon, Simon, Satan, behold, Satan demanded to have you. That he might sift you like wheat. How's that sound for a nice, encouraging message? But I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have returned, when you have turned again or strengthened your brothers, I've prayed for you, Peter. Jesus, the great intercessor, told Peter, I have prayed for you. Satan wanted to take you out. You think that you can keep yourself. You have all this confidence, Peter, that, that you got it, that you'll be faithful to the end. But I'm telling you, Peter, you're going to drop the ball. Trust me, I know. I can see the future, and I know you. And I still love you. I'm still for you. I've prayed for you. I'm not going to let you go when you come back. Not if. He's not like, well, if you decide, Peter, to come back to me and repent and don't fall away eternally. He says when. Jesus is confident that Peter's going to come back. When you return, then I want you to strengthen the brothers. And we're getting that today through his epistle, even today as we're reading it, speaking about it, thinking about these truths. Peter experienced the keeping power of God. He wrote from experience and he wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. You're kept by the power of God. So when you feel weak and you don't feel like you have any strength to carry on, know that he will hold you fast. And he will never let you go. One of the songs I used to lead in worship often, uh, especially with the young people, was Matt Redmond's. Whoa, no, you never let go through the calm, through the storm. Whoa, no, you never let go every high and every low. Whoa, no, you never let go, Lord, you never let go of me. Can we do that one next week? 
God's never letting us go. Peter experienced the mercy and the grace and the power of God to keep him. Last thing is that that Christians have fiery trials to endure. Though we have a great salvation that God has given us through his mercy, through the grace of God, the love of God, through the gospel, we also have great suffering to endure. Okay? Peter says, in this you rejoice, though for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire may be found to result in the praise and the glory and the honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Amen. Verse 8, though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him, you believe in him. And you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible, filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. By the way, salvation, the Bible speaks about it in three different tenses. We have been saved justification we are being saved sanctification and we will be saved glorification okay justification sanctification glorification and there is glorification that will come when we see jesus when he's revealed we will see him we will become like him we'll get new bodies okay some of us are a little more excited about that than others new bodies that aren't falling apart, all right? And we get to be with Jesus. But Christians have fiery trials to endure, and it's helpful to keep our sights on what is to come when we're in the midst of the furnace, when, we're, when, we're, when the heat is turned up in our lives. So he says, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. It's appropriate to grieve in this life. This world is not how it's supposed to be. We groan inwardly and we look and wait for the redemption that's coming. When there's no more pain and sorrow and sickness and injustice. Trials grieve us. Okay? They test us. They purify us. They, they reveal the genuineness of our faith. You see, we're able to see what we're really made of or what our faith is really made of when we go through trials. You see, trials have a way of sifting out false Christians, false converts. They fall away when there's persecution in purifying and strengthening true Christians. That's what tri- one of the things that trials does. And he says here that your faith, the genuineness of your faith is more precious, more precious than gold that perishes. Your faith, saints, is precious to God. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. And the faith that you have is precious to him. He's the author and the finisher of that faith. He's the giver and the sustainer of that faith that you have. And he is the object of the faith that you have. And it's a gift from God. It's not of yourselves. He's given you the faith that you have. And it's precious to him. And it's being tested when you go through suffering. And the end result, after it's been tested, after you've gone through the fiery furnace, the the result is praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, Peter doesn't specify where that praise and honor and glory is directed to. Okay? Now, obviously, God gets glory when his people 
go through trials and they remain faithful. God's pleased and he's delighted and he gets praise. And we praise him for his great salvation. Praise to our God and Father who's, who's caused us to be born again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? But also there, there's a sense too, another one way to look at it is when we see Jesus, we hear from him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with the little, right? And so what, what a, an amazing moment of honor and glory that we will experience when we see him and we enter into glory. So there's two different ways to look at that. The praise and the glory in the honor. Some translators paraphrase it as um, it being uh, directed or us being experiencing praise for remaining faithful through it. But then even if that's the case, even if we get a crown, which God promises us, what are we going to do with that crown? We're going to cast it at the feet of Jesus and say, you're worthy to receive all the praise and the glory and the honor. You're worthy of it all. You've saved and redeemed from every tribe and every tongue. I love this phrase in verse 8. Though you have not seen him, anybody seen Jesus? His appearing? Though you, he's not currently physically with you, you still love him. You still believe in him. And you rejoice with joy inexpressible that's filled with glory. Your joy in Jesus, in the midst of suffering, when when all the good things in life are being stripped away from you, all the comforts and all the, the external good things that you have are being stripped like Job, and you, and you worship and you praise God through it and you rejoice through it, it gives God glory and it displays His glory in the world and it shows to the outside world that God is enough to satisfy the human heart. It's not stuff we want. It's Jesus. It's his kingdom that we seek. Not the things of this world. And so your joy in him, saints, is is a part of your witness. A glorious witness to those around you who don't know him. Who ask the question, why are those Christians so joyful when we rob them of everything? When they're being ostracized. Or they're being persecuted and thrown in jail and they're still singing and praising God and they're still loving and they're not attacking back they're blessing instead of cursing why are they like that so our joy in the fiery furnace reveals the glory of God and brings him glory I love the imagery here he says though your your faith is tested the genuineness of your faith is tested by fire there's some imagery there of, of a uh, the refiner's fire, a silversmith, okay? And, and what silversmiths do to purify metal is they put it in the fire and turn the heat up. They keep it in the fire and the impurities come to the top. And they skim them off, okay? And, and one of the ways that it's been said that silversmiths know when they're done bringing it through the fire is that they can look at that piece of gold or silver and they can see reflection of themselves. See, God allows us to go through the fire and it's not pointless. It has a purpose. God is testing us, purifying us. He's revealing the genuineness of our faith. He's removing the purities in our lives. 
and revealing the authenticity of the faith that he has graciously given us, that he might receive praise and glory. Christians have fiery trials to face. Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation. There's a promise for you. Put it on your refrigerator. You're going to have trials and tribulations. It's just going to happen, all right? I had it. You guys are going to have it. Um, but I've overcome the world. Be, but take heart. Don't lose heart. Take heart. I've overcome the world. Okay? James tells us, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials. Trials come in various different forms. Financial challenges. Health challenges. Relational challenges. Spiritual challenges, vocational challenges, mental challenges, emotional challenges. There's all kinds of trials that come, political challenges, right? There's various types of trials that we experience in this life. And that's a part of this human experience. And this is a part of the Christian life. And don't buy in to a Christianity or a gospel that tells you you're not going to have any trials if you give your life to Jesus. It's going to be all smooth if you give your life to Jesus. They're good. Jesus promises they're going to come. 2 Timothy 3.12, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. There's the blessed life. You want it? Persecution's included. Jesus had it. He lived in it. Philippians 1.29 says, for to you it's been granted for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe, okay, so your faith has been granted as a gift. It's been grace to you, not only to believe, but also that you suffer for his sake. So it's this strange gift that nobody really wants. Suffering for his sake. That he might be glorified and honored and displayed as more than enough, displayed as better. And so let's look at this last little section here, verse 10 through 12. And I think what Peter is saying here is summing up in in these verses uh, is that you have a great salvation through the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to, was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that you have now been announced that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things in which angels long to look. Notice that Peter highlights the prophets. They were diligently looking and searching, trying to figure out when is this going to happen? How is this going to happen? This grace, amazing grace, saving grace that you and I get to now experience today. The prophets were looking forward to it. Okay, and even the angels of heaven long to look into it. They're interested. What's going on? They're, they're, they're interested. And so you and I have this great salvation through Jesus Christ. May you be amazed and in awe of what God has done in saving you and making you a new creation. Amen. So an application. Give God the praise and credit for your salvation. Be humbled and amazed by the mercy of God, avoiding pride and boasting. Be amazed at what God has done. You and I have this joy inexpressible and full of glory. 
It's kind of hard to express. It's so great. It's so amazing. It's so awesome, the salvation that we've been given and the joy that flows from having our names written in heaven and eternity being ours with Jesus. The joy that overflows is inexpressible and full of glory. And so one of the ways I've found helpful to try to express that inexpressible joy is through singing. God's given us the gift of music, melody, song. Let it belt out from deep within you. Your gratitude and your love, your confidence in God who saved you through His Son, Jesus Christ. Let it flow from the deepest part of your being. And don't worry about what it sounds like, even if you miss the melody like I did this morning. Even if you make a joyful noise to the Lord and it doesn't sound very pleasing to those around you, know that God sees your heart and it pleases Him. Your faith and your gratitude and your love that springs from having been saved and being brought into His family, it delights His heart. He loves it. He loves to hear His children thank Him in gratitude and rejoice in the salvation that He's freely given to them. So rejoice in God by setting your focus on what He has done for you and promised for you and avoid letting trials rob you of your joy. Rejoice in Him. Don't let those trials steal your joy. Fight for it. And be encouraged and comforted by God's saving and sustaining power in your life. He will keep you. He will finish the good work that He started in you. And if you're here today and you're not sure if you've been born again, you don't know if you've been brought into the family yet. You don't know if you have that inheritance yet. You don't know if you have that relationship with God yet. And you want that today. We want to talk to you about that. We want to pray for you. If you have a desire to step into that and you have, you, you sense your heart being drawn to Jesus today, that's an indicator that He is calling you to Himself, that He has chosen you, that He's called you to Himself. And so respond in faith today and just humbly receive what He's done for you. Jesus Christ was crucified for you. He went to the grave for you. He was raised from the dead for you. And He wants to deliver you from your fear of death. Deliver you from the bondage of sin and addiction in your life. And He wants to give you abundant life, freedom, joy in His presence. He wants you to experience Him in eternal life. Knowing Jesus, this is eternal life that they may know you. The one true God in Jesus Christ whom you sent. Do you know Him? Do you know Him? Do you love Him? Let's respond to his love and respond to his grace. The altar is open for prayer as the worship team leads us in a song, He Will Hold Me Fast. You guys, if you would stand, let's sing together, He Will Hold Me Fast. He's been good to us. Lord, we thank you for saving us. We thank you for rescuing us. We thank you for such a great salvation. May we not neglect it. May we not take it for granted. But God, may we... Be confounded and amazed and baffled by your grace and mercy. May we worship you for it. And may we testify to the lost world about the saving grace that you give through your son Jesus.